Welcome to episode 119 of the Throwdown Thursday Podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. You can call me lots of things. Just don't call me if I owe you money. I, I owe people money. Uh, we are broadcasting live today from Castle Wolfenstein, and joining me, as always, is the Mistress of Merlin, the real housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of wine. That's just one nightmare. Happy Ashtober, everyone. It is the most wonderful time of the year. The leaves are starting to fall. Things are starting to get spooky. And it's my birthday month. Birds are singing. The bees are trying to have sex with them, as is my understanding. Uh, we are, of course, also joined. Yeah, I went to a very odd school. We are, of course, also joined by the Cal Ripken-like uh, Johnny Wolfenstein, who is the hardest working man in brought podcasting. Broadcasting, uh, broadcasting, well, broadcasting, and podcast, broadcasting, broadcasting. Well, I mean, you are the producer, so broadcasting. Pro- sure, that like a, I'll take it. Amalgamation to it. We have a couple of special guests here today. Uh, first, I would like to introduce a uh, man making his fifth appearance. I believe. Uh, I think that's a record. I think that's. Uh, I was going to say it's probably. It's I, I'd have there. to look it up, but I think tied with uh, Miss Wiley for most appearances. I'm sorry, but, but I think next episode, next definitely episode be is the record obliterated. He is a member of the New England Horror Writers and the master of Stevel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steve Van Samson. You got to do better than that for the next one. Listen. <laughs> You, Ted, you wanted a, 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 an interesting nickname 30 seconds before we started. So that's the best I could come up with on short notice. Well, done. Yeah, but you come up with really good. Like, well, I shouldn't say good. You come up with things acceptable on short things. notice. Really so, acceptable things. <laughs> speaking of uh, coming up with acceptable things, I have a, an, an introduction for our first time guest here. Uh, Just to is... rub it in. <laughs> Did he you was... even say my last name? Yeah, Van Sampson. Oh, I, I wasn't listening. Go ahead. Wow. <laughs> he was just so disappointed with the intro, he just tuned you out. So he is the man behind Monsters Are Good and can be found in his native habitat, which is either the Halloween section of stores or on the floor of conventions. His motto is, you're last if you're not first. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam First. <laughs> wow, Funny, I had the same reaction when he told up. me that earlier. He's like, okay. Up with that. <laughs> well, you know, I figured that's probably something that you heard quite a bit of, but. Uh, uh, but you went for it anyways. I did. I did. Uh, that's the low hanging fruit. I was doing this while I was at work. So, you know, I'm trying to balance science and pleasure. So I, I think that's Patsy's middle name, low hanging fruit. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, thanks for uh, for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here. Because uh, we know you are an expert on all things monsters. I try to be, yeah. <laughs> so that's why we, we had to get you on. Um, so what we like to do on the show, if it's your first time, we like to ask you a couple of random questions. This is before the sacrifice, correct? Yes. This okay. is pro- it, okay. The sacrifice is Was dependent. I supposed to mention the sacrifice? Well, it's dependent on the answers to the questions. Okay. So. I got the goat tied up just outside, so if you guys let, let me know when you're ready. Okay. Okay, perfect, yes. perfect. So, Sam, are you ready for a couple of quick questions before we uh, get to know you a little more? I believe I am. All right. So, question number one, and this is a question that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, what is your favorite snack cake? Ooh, fascinating. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's a tough I, choice. I, that's a tough choice. Yeah, no, nobody's ever uh, approached that question uh, with me. Um, you know, I mean, Twinkie would be an easy answer. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have to say probably the honey bun. Oh, the two for a dollar honey buns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff right there. So question two. Uh, this is uh, non-food related. Or it could be. If you could master any skill, what would it be? Sculpting. Okay. Absolutely. Any particular medium or just sculpting in general? Um, I mean, I've gotten to know a lot more people that are in the special effects industry, and I also now work for a company that specializes in doing Halloween masks and things like that. So it's something that's always fascinated me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, monster makers in general, it's just kind of like the next step uh, beyond what I already do. So, yeah, well, I guess... Excellent. Yeah, that's a good one, especially if it ties into uh, to what you're already passionate about. That's perfect. Um, so last question. Um, now, we're here going to be talking about some universal monsters. And as you know, there is a dark universe sort of reboot going on that hasn't gotten off to the best start with the mummy. But uh, in your opinion, which dark universe remake are you most excited for, if any? I was really looking forward to seeing The Bride. Okay. Yes. Because I wanted to see, you know, Javier Bardem as the monster. That just sounded phenomenal. Um, I feel like with a lot of them, you could go just a little too in, like, the gruesome horror direction. Um, The other... very close second was the Invisible Man because I actually the the original Invisible Man is actually one of my favorites the the Universals. Um, I feel like there is a lot you could do with that that'd be kind of a lot better than Hollow Man. But yes, you know. All right, yeah i i'm a I'm a big fan of Javier Bardem, especially after seeing him in uh, No Country for Old Men. And anything's better than uh, rapey Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about sad Chevy Chase? <laughs> Give me my molecules. Ra- man. Rapey Kevin Bacon or weepy Chevy Chase? Well, weepy beats rapey pretty much every time. I don't know. He's kind of rapey in that too, but that's just Chevy Chase. Yeah, I guess that's uh, that's uh, that's fair. <laughs> um, so Sam, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Tell us a little bit about monsters are good. So, Monsters Are Good uh, started off as just kind of a pastime, if you will. Uh, I had gotten out of school and was having a lot of trouble finding a new job, uh, you know, just fresh out of school. And so I decided to spend my time a little bit better than just sitting around. Uh, And I started designing t-shirts and buttons and patches and posters and anything that I could possibly do that was like... Uh, within reason for me to produce on my own and uh, just started going out to car shows and uh, local uh, horror rock shows and things like that just kind of selling my stuff wherever I was welcome and I've been doing it now for about uh, well seven and a half years now and um, through Monsters Are Good um, you know I've just kept expanding upon that kind of idea and doing you know, just whatever catches my fancy at the time, because everything I do is only designed 
I mean, not to sound selfish, but with myself in mind. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if other people like it, it means so much more to me uh, because I, I really just design things that I want to see uh, out in the world. Which so, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of your work, as you know. Uh, I'm currently sporting the Dracula shirt. And uh, we saw you recently at Fan Expo Boston. Mm-hmm. And we each picked up a shirt. Uh, I got the uh, It Conquered the World. Is that the little, yeah, little dude? Yeah, yeah. He looks kind of like a... Angry traffic cone. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, if a celery and a tomato had a baby, they got really angry. I always like, saw a starfish in that thing. Like oh, yeah. He's kind of like a red starfish. Because if you, if you look at the... The lobby card and the oh. poster. He's he's red, I, or maybe it's just behind the scenes. Well, he's red on my shirt. Is he? He's he is. orange. Or so maybe yeah. they got it from the shirt. Hey, uh, so I actually saw one of your pins, uh, the uh, little Frankenberry skull. Mm-hmm. I just I just witnessed that today on uh, on Instagram as I was cyber stalking you, and uh, I mean, you need to pick one of those <laughs> up. Yeah, it's it's some good stuff. <clears throat> yeah, the Fra- the Frankenberry design is a super limited. I'm only doing it for October this year, and once they're gone, they're gone. Um, at least for the year. Oh yeah, you got the jolly much Frank. like the much like the cereals themselves. Yes, uh, you know, which makes me really sad. So I need to stock up. I still have three boxes from like four years ago. <laughs> you know, I held Probably on to good. A, an open box of Frankenberry until like the beginning of september when they started popping up again and i was like oh i should probably eat that and i will tell you it really loses its flavor oh no it does because there used to be six boxes and now there's three but uh ashes you picked up you have a couple of the shirts too why don't you tell us about your shirts um so i have the jolly frank design because i am a huge fan of frankenstein and when I saw that, I fell in love with it. So the Jolly Frank design is a Frankenstein head, kind of like in a Jolly Roger fashion with lightning bolts underneath. I just think that's so clever. So like a skull and crossbones for folks who are not familiar with the term Jolly Roger. <clears throat> Educate yourself. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to help. <laughs> there might be some young kids. I know we have some younger listeners as well. Well, I will tell you that I just found out because I happened to be at the Pirate Museum in Salem uh, just on Sunday. Uh, that the Jolly Roger doesn't specifically refer to the skull and crossbones. Oh, interesting. But it, uh, rather, that's just what they call the flags, which actually started off as just red and then became just black, and then it went on from there. So basically, whatever the pirate really? standard happens to be, like that's just the name of the flag? Yeah, basically. Okay. All right, see, I always assumed it. If, yeah, no, so did I, I. Absolutely, so did I. See, I actually the, learned something at the and New England just, Pirate Museum. And you just taught me and... You know, vicariously, our listeners learned through me learning from you. So that's there's excellent. a New England Pirate Museum. You've never been to there? No, I've never we even heard of it. We've never been to Salem. We are going to Salem this weekend. We oh, have God, never yes. been. Well, I, I know. You know, I actually I know. No, I can't blame you. I I never went to Salem growing up, um, and it wasn't until I was dating a girl who was from uh, another state who was like, "No, I want to go to Salem," and I was like, "Why do you want to go there?" Never even occurred to me to go there. That's one of those things when you live there. It's part of the landscape, mm-hmm. like people who live in New York their entire lives but never go up to the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So if that if you're one of those people in Massachusetts, go to Salem. It is yeah. a lot of fun. Now you're yeah. probably sick of it, Sam. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm Not just kidding. All. You're there uh, pretty much every October now, right? Yeah, for the past uh, six years, I've 
been in Salem almost every weekend uh, set up on Essex Street. But last year, I got to tell you, it was really rough. Uh, it was a lot more work than normally was. I did a lot more than I should have. And on top of that, the street preachers were out in full bloom. And, and they really, I got to tell you, they really, really put a damper on my, my Halloween festivities. Preachers can bloom? Mm, these guys Ugh. can. Ugh. I don't like the sound of that at all. Yeah, they were out in full force and really, really made it tough uh, to like just kind of go about my business and enjoy myself. So I've kind of taken a step back this year, but I will be there um, at least twice this October. Uh, I will be set up this time, though, in front of the brand new location for Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery. Do you have uh, any specific days that uh, you want to let folks know? Um, I am hoping to be there on the 13th. Uh, which also coincides with the screening of the Monster Squad documentary, Wolfman's Got Nards. Nice. Uh, and, a, and a fan of Monsters Are Good, and specifically the Jolly Frank design, uh, Andre Gower, who is uh, Sean in Monster Squad, will be there. And um, hopefully going to get to meet up with him while I'm there. Now, uh, you know, he would be a great person to, uh, you know, have a shirt and, you know, uh, <clears throat> promote your, but uh, he's not the only uh, celebrity who sports your shirts. Uh. No, um, I've been very fortunate in that uh, I've gotten to uh, go out to LA uh, about four times now for uh, Monster Palooza and Son of Monster Palooza. And because of that, there's actually a whole lot of uh, people, industry people who go to that show. It's a very much like an industry show. Uh, most notably, though, I got to do, um, well, a big fan of my shirts is Greg Nicotero um, of Walking Dead fame. And he apparently wears his shirts constantly on set. I've even been told that by other special effects people. Uh, and he actually commissioned me to do a Walking Dead crew shirt uh, just a couple months ago. That's ridiculously badass. That Yeah, that's right? that's really cool. Can I shake your hand one more time? Just real, real quick. <laughs> And so, you know, where can folks find you so they can see some of your designs, pick up some of your stuff? Because I highly recommend it. Like, if I had the money, I would own every single one of your shirts. And every time you come out with a new one, like the one you're wearing currently, kind of like the Ramones logo with all the different Universal Monsters, you didn't have in my size, which is why I got the... uh, Yeah, that tends to be the the quickest one to go. The double X. Well, just the Ramones one in general. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Almost any show that I'm at, it's usually the one that I come home with like two of um if that uh when i was at son of monster palooza last year or sorry no when i was at monster palooza in april this year uh my last two ramon shirts were bought by tim armstrong and his wife or his girlfriend i Mm -hmm. guess um and tim actually took the 2x that i had because that was all i had he's like i'll take it i'm like all right because it's a it's a it's a great design it really is um so what we'll do is we'll uh you know, we'll post some some links, some pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's just monstersaregood.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram. It's just monstersaregood. Uh, Facebook, same thing. Twitter, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Nice and easy. Yeah. So, definitely check this stuff out. We're going to, like I said, we'll post links so that folks can come see your stuff. And it's super cool. Like, your stuff is unisex, which I love. Because, you know, it's not just, it caters to everyone. It's not just for a specific, 
genre and as a chick who loves horror sometimes you're kind of limited to what is available to you so i just i dig it so. yeah you got the enamel pins the poster reprints you've got all that stuff so there's there's a wide variety so if you're like uh, i have way too many t-shirts first of all that's not a fucking thing there's no such thing um but if you are of that that mindset there's a lot of other stuff to check out so um i think what we'll do now let's uh let's take our quick break when we come back we are going to discuss uh frankenstein frankenstein's monster like the whole mythology behind that and uh get in some good conversation i think so we will be right back Trick-or-Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick-or-Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick-or-Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you <laughs> took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action, it had suspense, it had great characters, it had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. Arrivederci, douchebag. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday's podcast. Hello, this is the Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, but you can just call me Frank. And when I'm not stomping around the woods throwing rocks at hunters, I like to listen to the Paranormal Punchers podcast. That's right, Paranormal Punchers. They talk about all things paranormal, and they're hilarious. Go find them on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and ParanormalPunchers.com. And we are back. That, of course, was Dead River by our good buddy Rocky Bowick. Go check him out. Uh, no Man, K-N-O-W-M-A-N. And uh, also check out his uh, his podcast, uh, Serious Talk About Stupid Shit. Or this Stas cast. Stas cast, yeah. But that's what it stands for in case you were uh, unfamiliar. But, uh, yeah, we play that song pretty much all the time. So, today we're talking about Frankenstein. We're talking about the story. We're talking about the movie. We're talking about the, the impact that it's had on pop culture. We're talking about all this stuff. Of course, we're centering on the Universal Monster, you know, the 1941 film. That 1931. 31. I'm, I, see, I keep switching. Are you sh- 41's Wolfman. Okay, that's why. Because I know 31 is also Dracula. That's correct. They yeah. came out the same year. All right. So, 
I was wrong. I wrote down the wrong thing. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Appreciate it. <laughs> this is what I need. I need to be called out if I if I screw something up because I was inundating myself with Universal Monster stuff. So, for people who are unfamiliar with where Frankenstein came from, in 1816, known as the year without a summer because of the eruption of Mount Tambora of Indonesia. Everybody knows that, Patrick. You don't have Sorry. to tell people this. Everybody knows. Uh, it actually erupted in 1815 and caused uh, volcanic winter because of the... Uh, the Which actually sounds like a, a black metal band. It does. It's very akin to nuclear winter where, you know, the amount of ash and everything up in the sky, cool temperatures. Uh, so there was a year without a summer. It was a very, very rainy. Um, Mary Shelley, who at the time was 18 years old, her lover and eventual husband, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron were all hanging out. And because there wasn't much to do because of the... Uh, no cell phones? Because of the volcano, the Wi-Fi was down. Gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, That's rough. I hate it when that happens. They couldn't get onto Xbox Live, no Netflix, Snapchat was down, so they had to do something. So Byron suggested, let's all write ghost stories. We're all writers. Let's write some ghost stories. And from that... Mary Shelley wrote arguably one of the famous monsters, most famous monster stories of all fucking time. So you got the you got the original title, the modern Prometheus. Yeah. Frankenstein, comma. No, Frankenstein, semicolon. Oh, semicolon or the the modern modern Prometheus. Prometheus. And the word or is in the title. It's like the weirdest thing. Yeah. Especially with the semicolon. Yeah. But uh, there's commas in there. It's got one semicolon. Uh, two commas. Yeah, no, one comma. Yeah. Semicolon, then or, then comma. Grammatical structure has changed quite a bit since 1818. 1818. 18, what was that? Yeah, it was January 1st, 1818. It was published for the first time. Gotcha. So. Because I think she wrote it when she was 15. I think it was like maybe. Took well, a she while she was 18 in 1816 is from what I got. Gotcha. So that's the origin of this of this story. So obviously the first thing I want to do is, you know, kind of go around the room and I'll start with you, Sam. Uh, what was your first experience to this character, be it, you know, this particular film or where did you where did you first see Frankenstein and the monster? That's I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I kind of have always had it in my consciousness, so it's <laughs> I I can't really pinpoint specifically um, I do know that when I was a kid that I had a copy of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And I also had, of course, Monster Squad, which was a huge piece of everything. Yes. Steve? Um, well, I think that um, like most people, uh, it's really just the concept, right? Because there are so few things that have transcended, you know, what it is to that degree. You know, you can say, oh, well, when's the first time you saw Freddy Krueger? But Frankenstein and Dracula, they're just different. You know, you can go to, I guess my answer would be Halloween as a kid. You know, you see posters, you see cardboard cutouts with little linked joints. You know, you see see like, um, you know, just everything. Frankenstein's just part of Halloween. Yeah, I mean, especially as a kid, I, I, I didn't even really know what originated that Frankenstein, that look. He's always got green skin. He's always got the flat head. He's always got that. Don't call them neck bolts. They're transistors. They're electrons. Okay. 
What's that? Electrodes. Electrodes. You gotta yes. get a little closer. Electrodes. See, not, there we go. Not neck bolts, though, right? <laughs> well, I mean, they're not in his neck. neck, you know. Yeah, but they're to conduct the electricity. I know what them. they're for. I'm just saying. He was a very grounded guy. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was off the cuff. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like you're saying, like, you're already surrounded by this thing. It's, you know, like you're saying, Freddy Krueger, you know, came out in the mid-'80s. You know, we were all born. You know, we knew what was going on. Oh, what's he from? Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay, that's what he's from. What's Frankenstein has been around, at this point, 200 years. So it predates all of us. So, Well, some of us. Yeah. Ashes, what's your... Been uh, around for a while. What's your... Um, so, I guess my first exposure to Frankenstein was a Frankenstein-like character. Uh, Herman Munster from the Munsters. I grew up Ooh, watching the Munsters. Um, I love it. I still love it to this day. And I can remember as a child eating Frankenberry cereal, watching the Munsters. And I've just always had this. Out of all of the Universal Monsters, uh, Frankenstein's my favorite. And as I've gotten older, um, you know, became more exposed to the actual Frankenstein movies and the concept of Frankenstein have read, not in its entirety, but have read um, excerpts, pretty much most of it, of, of Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein. And I just love it. And we'll get into uh, probably more of the concept and stuff a little bit later, yeah. and I'll get into why I love this character so much. Um, but, I mean, the design aspect, there's something about it that's just so eye-catching and just so it's simple, but it's effective and it works, and I just I I love it. So yeah, the mon- but the monsters I love the monsters so much. See, for me, uh, the first time like obviously, it's one of those very recognizable things. Like even if you're not a, a you know a, a comic book person, you recognize Superman, Batman, Spider Man, stuff like that. So I recognize like okay, yeah, that's Dracula, that's the Wolfman, that's Frankenstein, you know until I got older and realized that's a monster, not Frankenstein, which is always a source of contention. I, and I can, I can tell Sam, this is something that you, uh, I, I, I can't stand. I cannot stand when people get on the high horse about that. <laughs> it's just like, just go with it. Yeah, we, we get it. You know who we, we're talking about. Yes. But if you really want to get technical about it, he looked at Dr. Frankenstein as his father. Yeah, he would have, mm-hmm. he would still be called Frankenstein. Let, l- okay. Let's just, Leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> so my first time that, like, really seeing, like, any type of origin story or anything like that, uh, the Mel Brooks classic Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Watching it with my dad. Like, you know, and not understanding all of it fully. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because. What, you want, want to, do you want to roll in the hay? <laughs> want to have a roll in the hay? What knockers. Oh, thank you, Doctor. <laughs> yeah, like. Taffeta, darling, taffeta. <laughs> no, the dress, it's taffeta. Yeah, like the, the, that whole, like, you know, I got some of the jokes, like, walk this way. Yeah, no, no, this way, and, you know. Werewolf. There. Werewolf. Why are you talking like that? I don't know, I thought you wanted to. No, I don't want to. Oh, suit yourself, then, I'm easy. But yeah, that was my first... <laughs> yeah, we could go off forever yeah, yeah, on yeah. just Young Frankenstein. But yeah, we that was my first real exposure to it. And then as I got older, you know, watching it more and more, 
you know, noticing the zipper in his neck instead of, you know, the electrodes. Yeah, you she, know. she even calls him a zipper neck. She and it's does. funny, I didn't notice the zipper for years myself. Yeah, and there's, there's um, you know, and we just watched the original film, the Universal film, uh, in preparation for this. I'd never seen the Universal film with, with Boris Karloff. And, you know, it's... You see all this this influence that it's had across pop culture, maybe in places most folks wouldn't even realize. I found out through uh, our buddy's show, uh, Best Darn Diddly, when they had Mike Reese on, season six, episode six, is the, if you want to go back and listen to it. But Mike Reese is a showrunner, producer. The opening of the Frankenstein film where they give you the warning, like, this is scary, you know. The, he, the you know, trigger warning? Essentially, yes. The Simpsons copied that for their first two Halloween episodes because they were the writers were such fans of those old movies, and they were like, hey, just so you know, this isn't for kids. This isn't a normal type of Simpsons animated show, which your kids shouldn't be watching in the first place, but this is, you know, double, so if you're watching it, this is on you because we're warning you. So, like, that was taken directly from that, which I thought was really cool. I mean, those those types of intros started becoming very popular, you know, with with those types of movies. All the William Castle movies mm-hmm. in particular, uh, Ed Wood movies. Uh, Ed Wood, you know, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space most famously has Criswell, you know, Your Tomorrow. And, like, that guy talking about, the future. The future. Where it's where we shall all live. Mm-hmm. The future. Yeah, and it's, you know, one of the, and I told you, and I and I don't know if everybody knows about this, but the set they used in Young Frankenstein was the same set that they used, like the same laboratory. Like, so it wasn't necessarily the same set, but most of the set pieces, yeah. most of the props, most like almost everything that was electric uh, was from the original production. They actually also had the guy who originally built them for Frankenstein uh, on set. And I remember Mel Brooks being like, you could ask him to do anything and he could figure out how to do it. Obviously, nothing was probably particularly safe, but he could make it. Yeah. And to expand on that, the deal also was that in Frankenstein, that the prop guy that you're talking about, I don't I don't know the man's name. He actually went uncredited, completely uncredited for that movie. So Mel Brooks, one of the things that he specifically wanted to do, he reached out and he found this guy. He was still alive. He still had all the props. He he got the credit. He finally got the credit Which for, is for those <laughs> props. He got the credit, but even though 30 years earlier he had – or yeah, whatever, whatever Young Frankenstein was. Yeah, it was like the mid 70s, 72, yeah, I so think. Like 40 so 40 years, years later, later, he got credit for making those props. Which I'm I'm pretty impressed that they were, if they were, uh, the amount of original stuff they were able to transfer over. Um, the thing that I liked and that really caught me in the opening of this film was that when they had the opening credits, Boris Karloff isn't credited. He's not named in the opening credits. It's just a question mark. It's a question mark, yeah. Which I thought was a stroke of genius because it's like, you know, first of all, it's some amazing practical makeup, mm-hmm. especially... Jack, Jack Pierce was yeah. a makeup artist. Yeah. And this is prior to being able to cast things in latex and things like that. This was, like, none of that was available. So he would actually build that up every day of shooting. Like, it was hand-sculpted onto Boris Karloff's face. 
every single time they were going to film. Wow. That's incredible. And, that, and that's, you know, you see stuff like that, you know, occasionally now, like, you know, um, with like a Guillermo del Toro, like, you know, Abe Sapien or the Shape of Water guy, you know, Doug Jones, either way, you know, getting all this makeup layered and layered and layered and layered on him. You know, you'll see that occasionally, but most of the time it's like, nope, eh, we'll just put you in a suit. Yeah, if it's not Doug suit. Jones as a fish, it's a, you don't see it. You right. just don't see it. It's, it's a <laughs> in the modern suit. age. Yeah. Well, and what I thought was brilliant was they deterred from the way that Frankenstein or the, the monster was described in Mary Shelley's book, mm-hmm. and they created a whole different monster, and that is the monster that we know today. Like, that is the monster that has become so iconic. Completely just a creation of Jack Pierce. Yeah. yeah. So I actually have a quote from the book right here. That Please. Just, it's the passage where she describes the monster. Mm-hmm. And for those who haven't read the book, I think this is kind of startling how unbelievably different and also vague it is. Um, so he's in one section, he's described as being eight feet tall. But the main the main quote where she describes him, it says his limbs were in proportion. Actually, can I can I just do this as Boris Karloff? Yeah, please, please. All right. His limbs were in proportion, and I had selected his features as beautiful. Beautiful. Great God, his yellow skin scarcely covered the work of muscles and arteries beneath. His hair was of a lustrous black and flowing, his teeth of a pearly whiteness, but these luxuries only formed a more horrid contrast with his watery eyes that seemed almost the same color as the dun white sockets in which they were set, his shriveled complexion and straight black lips. That's all they say about him. He's yeah, basically a tall, <clears throat> like kind of handsome guy, but they're like, no, but he's gross. It's like, but he has beautiful hair and beautiful everything. It's like, but he's gross. Yeah, it's like weird. the watery eyes. Yeah, the watery uh, eyes. Yellow is skin, li- watery eyes. Thin, straight black lips. Also, I guess milky eyes. Too. I guess it's kind you of like cataracty. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, my aunt's cocker spaniel that's no longer with us. They get they is get that. that. Is, is it just sitting around the house still? Uh, I mean, it's no <laughs> longer with us. It's it, it left for uh, where did the elves go? The 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 the, the other country. Oh, the, the into the west. It it left. It went into the west. With Elrond, and the uh, Elrond Hubbard, and uh, all those elves and hobbitses. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact name, but the land is is yeah. evergreen. Mm, I, remember, I remember him saying that. That's where this cocker is. Well, and in the mid to late 1800s, it actually became a stage production, and they kind of took liberties, like whoever was directing, uh, whoever was doing the costuming. Just, you know, took liberties to, uh, it, when creating this, you know, the look for this character. So I think, like, yeah, at, at early stage portrayals, dressed him in a toga, uh, shaded along with like monster skin, like pale blue skin. So you know, there's been different incarnations of him, like until the movie, the Jack Pierce version. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're totally skipping over the Thomas Edison version enlighten us so before boris Karloff, there was a another film silent film version of frankenstein that was done by thomas edison 
and it is the weirdest looking monster you could possibly imagine. It's also extraordinarily short, so it's not really the story, mm-hmm. uh, but it is actually the first film portrayal of Frankenstein. Now that's pretty cool. That I had heard something of about that, but I had no idea. Never like I, it didn't click even when I was doing research. So the thing about this character is you know he's his perception is that he's a villain because you know one of the first things that happens to him is he get you know especially in this film this is this is what I'm referring to you know they're like oh he's terrorizing the 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 countryside and he's you know um he's uh you know he accidentally threw the little girl into the into the uh, pond. Whoops, little Maria. But he doesn't. No, he doesn't no know. Maria. No one was. No one was. You know. He didn't go through the process of peer bonding. And so we're on the movie. That's yeah. You're talking, okay. You know, he didn't go through all this. You know, and it's one of those. You know, like Ashes was saying, he didn't ask to be born. He didn't ask to be created. You know, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, he's so scary and grotesque and and." Uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the like the way he's described in the in the book, kind of reminds me of the the Hellraiser phrase repulsive glamour, where he's got these attractive features, but there's enough about him that is off putting, mm-hmm. that he is, you know, horrifying. He scares people. It's not his fault, you know. Right, but it is it is really the doctor's fault. You know, in the movie he's he's Henry Frankenstein, in the book he's Victor. And in both cases, you know, the characters are very different. Uh, I definitely prefer the film. This is one of the rare instances where I prefer the film over the book by a lot. I've read the book twice. Um, I don't know. I'm not a fan. But anyway, uh, we can we can put a pin in that. But, yeah, you know, Frankenstein fucked up, like, in both cases, pretty much causing everything. You know, not only did he bring this this being to life or whatever, sure, but let's stick with the movie. Well, what does Frankenstein do right after he brings him to life? Oh, he's super excited. He's he's God now. Yay, I did it. I'm so great. He locks him in a dark room mm-hmm. and leaves him there for a few days just to his own devices. And then, eventually, they go to check on him, and after that, after he makes his, you know, intro for after a couple of days, then he sort of lets Fritz, not Igor, yeah, um, who is his little hunchback assistant, you know, kind of just take care of him, which was in and of itself pretty much the worst decision in the entire movie. But really, if you know, he had kind of handled things better. I mean, if, imagine if you left your newborn in a in the basement for like four days. Guess what? It's it's not going to. But your okay. newborn seven feet tall and has you know disproportionate enhanced strength. And, and you know, that's that's one of the things. We actually had a little bit of a conversation. The way he reacts to fire the first time, do you think that as a supernatural being cobbled together from the parts of other people who have already died, you know, maybe he had a premonition of his own death and was reacting towards the instrument of his death. No, I think it's everything's afraid of fire. I but if you don't know what fire is, how can you be afraid of it? I think that's just one of the innate things, you know, everything's afraid of it's, fire. It's instinctive it's the nature. Yeah, you know? 
That's fair. I mean, it's just, you know, something I was throwing out there. No, if we're going to get into the actual character, um, we'll stick with the 1931 film. I love this character so much, and I empathize with this character. Uh, He didn't ask to be born. Like, he didn't ask to be brought into this world. And he was assumed, because of the reaction that he had with the fire, which I believe that's just an instinctive we'll say human reaction. Mm. Um, You know, he wasn't taught anything. He wasn't, you know, he was just, like you said, Steve, he was just shoved in the closet and left in the dark. You know, that's no way to, you you wouldn't shove your newborn child into the closet, be like, well, you're born now, have fun in the closet, They did it to Harry Potter and he became a wizard, so. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't happen to everyone. Um, Besides, by then he could talk and walk and potty by that point. Let's That's true. Real. Yeah, no one taught Frankenstein about bodily functions. And if you want, if you want, I'm sorry to, real quick, no, Ashes. Okay. If you want to say like, oh, it doesn't make sense. There's no reason for him to be afraid of fire. Uh, he, he could walk. So there's clearly something left over in that abby yeah, normal brain that well, he Well, that's uh, what I was saying. Like, you know, some kind well, of memory something. And... That's the thing. He was given an, an abnormal criminal brain. So the doctor someone. and yeah, someone. Um, so the doctor just automatically believes that, oh, because this brain is a criminal brain, that must mean that he's evil. Not even giving the monster a chance to live, not giving the monster a chance to learn. And the monster just is trying to figure out what it is who he is and life and who can't relate to that like you know he just wants to he just wants to be he just wants to live and he just wants to be loved he just needs a hug right That's like all. and and you know the whole scene with the little girl <laughs> he didn't know you know he, i think he thought he was helping her and you know, obviously, he he wasn't. The little girl drowned, oh, and the, the flowers. Yeah, floated. they were throwing. You yeah, know, throwing I flowers. Mean, I just I feel like her. it's the it's the quarrel between good and and evil. And Frankenstein's monster is good. Like he is good, but people believe because he looks different, and because you know, in this film in particular, he is mute. Like he can't speak. But again, it's nobody is teaching him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I hate Dr. Frankenstein so much is because he creates this being and it's just like, yes, I, I'm I'm God now. I'm awesome. I'm going to go to lunch, you know, and then just just leaves him. And it's like you can't create life and then just leave it. He was so preoccupied with whether or not he could. He didn't stop to think if he should. Mm, Pretty that's, much. That's exactly it. Yeah. Life. Uh Life's away. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the thing, like I, I, I you know, with some well, of these Well there it is. He's just Frankenstein's just he's just misunderstood. He's neutral and needs someone to show him yeah, the it's, path. It's really It comes down to don't judge a book by its cover. It's nature yeah. versus <laughs> nurture. Yes. It's really a nature versus nurture thing too, you know. Exactly, I mean yes. Yeah, like so so would he have done bad things? So so I think that um I know we're on a kind of a tight schedule tonight. I, I just really um want to say I I think that every time anybody sits down to have a conversation about this movie or the property I think what dominates it is always what's dominating this conversation which is the monster I think that he is always 
the thing that everybody takes away. You know, you come off and you're like, if you look at from an actor standpoint, you're like, oh my god, Boris Karloff. You know, and and you're you're right. You know, Boris Karloff mm-hmm. is amazing. I mean, he he delivers a, this tour de force performance without a single line of dialogue. I mean, you know, he, he makes you feel for him and and shriek from him, and and he's it, amazing. And part of that is definitely the makeup. But um, you know, I actually my my favorite character in it is is uh, Colin Clive's Henry Frankenstein, and um, I think that his performance is never talked about and I think it's it's criminal and I don't know why but I think it's just because Karloff shines so bright that it's easy to overlook other things but I think that uh, you know Colin Clive uh, who is was an amazing actor who was really really tragic and died at like 37 and um, you know he was an alcoholic his whole life and everything but in that movie um, his his arc is so interesting to me because in so many other if you're if you're dealing with a character who you know essentially is on it's on the road to hell right the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm-hmm. that's really that's really his road right um so if if you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions and that's your your point for this character generally you start on the road pretty early we meet him in this particular version of the story halfway we meet him when he is already gripped by his mad psychosis of I'm going to do this thing. Holy crap. I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. He's already he's, digging up. Graves. He is already, we, we see him. He's already hired this, this shifty weird hunchback dude. You know, they are waiting for a funeral to just hurry up and get itself over with so they can hurry up and dig up the damn body already. And there are already all his friends and all his family and his, uh, his, uh, fiance, Elizabeth, they are, back home he's already left them this is not the typical way you would tell this story typically you start you introduce everybody they're nice everybody's happy and then you know this character slowly goes down this road so we see, we meet him halfway and i think that's worth mentioning it's very very interesting to me and then the other thing that i think is extremely uh interesting to me is is well he actually creates the monster comes to life at 25 minutes into the into the, the movie and 25 and it's only like an hour and 10 minutes sure mm-hmm. yeah it's like 70 minutes is kind of the the running time for most of those yeah. old you know 30s ones so so 25 minutes in the monster is alive i'm it's alive it's alive i uh, now, now i know what it feels like to be god okay so that is that moment when he says that you know it is one of the most famous moments of the movie mm-hmm. even though it's not the monster um, even and I think people do recognize it and would know that that was Dr. Frankenstein, even if they don't know who Colin Clive was. Um, but you know that is the peak of his crazy. He he peaks like twenty five minutes in. The rest of the movie, instead of you know, like okay, uh, Sam. So you mentioned the in- the Invisible Man. So in the Invisible Man, also directed by James Whale, nineteen thirty two. Um, so he starts near the beginning now he's already invisible but he's still a sane uh man like he's he's uh, dr griffin he starts out and he's in in the first couple scenes he's he's like mm, pretty much himself he's fighting it whatever when he finally goes nuts and takes off the the wrappings and reveals himself he starts on a journey he can't ever turn away from and for the rest of the movie he gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until it ends Frankenstein, Dr. Henry Frankenstein, does not do that. 
he 25 minutes in has a massive u-turn and he at that point starts to regret everything now part of that you know is that he doesn't know what to do with the monster and i always took that to be well it's kind of like when somebody's not ready to be a parent i kind of felt like that was sort of what he was going for as you know an an allegory because you know oh crap I, i now have a child what the hell do i do i can't be a dad so I think part of it is that, but, uh, you know, he certainly screwed up. He certainly could have handled it better. But for the rest of the movie, he's trying to make up for what he did and try to figure out a way of making things right, and he can't. I feel like that was just because they needed to offset everything else that was going on uh, because you see a complete opposite kind of direction, um, really, I guess, in the actual book, but in the... You know, in the 90s one, uh, the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. With Kenneth Branagh and De Niro. Yeah. You know, he starts just going off the deep mm-hmm. end. You know, he just keeps getting worse and worse. And yeah, this is only the move, this one movie's version of yeah. the character. Yeah. But even, I would say, he just sort of becomes a. Yeah, I mean, he sobers up, basically. He sobers up real fast, and, yeah. <laughs> and even and he's through, just screwed. He's already... It's too late. Even through Bride of Frankenstein, he's so reluctant to do anything else to, that has to do with it. Right, he has and, to be blackmailed yeah. to do anything else, yeah. See, I think part of the the arc that we see him on is part of the uh, the type of storytelling narrative we see from those types of movies. Like, you know, you kind of have to have that happy ending. I mean... Think about how this movie ends. Like, the monster takes him, heaves him out of the friggin' windmill, he lands on a windmill blade, gets spun around and dropped, and it's like, oh, he's fine. Oh, we brought him some champagne because, you know, he's... Well, you know that, that he was supposed to die. Right. They but, came back last minute. The studio was like, no, you got to give this a happy you ending. you got to give it a happy ending. So make show that he survived. And that's that's what I'm saying, like that type of thing. It's like, oh, you know, the monster has to be defeated. The good guys have to come out on top. And whether you want to consider Frankenstein a good guy or not, he's still the more relatable character because he is the human character. I mean, he's the protagonist of the movie. I wouldn't say he's a good guy. But right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think there's a huge shift uh, when they come back and start Bride. You know, he's no longer like a central character almost. Like right. He's, he's there. Right. But I feel like he's very, very much on the sidelines Agreed. for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah. He's he's the protagonist of the first one. But yeah, they they, they bench him for the second one. Who would you one. say is the protagonist in the second one? Uh, the monster. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people wanted because they wanted Karloff. Like, yeah. He was the name that they banked on. Like, if you ask anybody, like, hey, Name someone who is in this movie, they would say Frank the uh, Karloff. They wouldn't say anyone else because that's yeah, the today. only name that they know. Right. Today. I but, mean, I mean time, even that's a stretch with most people. <laughs> yeah, no. <I'm, laughs> but if anybody, I see your yes, point. Yeah, 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 I can see the point. But, you know, at the time, you know, Karloff was a non he – was, he did not exist as a name. He was nobody. He would. He just. He, they. They did the the question mark thing as a as a ploy to make people talk, and it worked. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like in the in the second, like you know, this was. I, I can't. Yeah. So because he, he was also credited. in the Mummy, he was also you know. So they right, kind of wanted. Point. I th- I think he was credited him. in the Bride, 
right? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, think, but the bride, but the was bride wasn't. But but Elsa Lanchester was credited as being Mary, Mary Shelley, Shelley, so she got credited. Yes. Well, you get you get the 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 opening credits didn't have Carlos' name. Yes, it did. In the in bride in bride in the in the original oh, in, 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 yeah, they had the question, but not. the closing credits. Had his name. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like in Seven where they don't tell you who John Doe is. They don't put anybody's name in the credits. But at the end, once you know, once the, the story's been told, then it's okay. Gotcha. That's all. And I was just... Uh, cool. You know, directly. I didn't remember the, uh, the end credits coming back. Yeah, I, I made a point to look to see if they still did a question mark or if they actually credited him at the yeah. end. A lot of old movies didn't have end credits at all. They would just end, and all the credits were at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, the yeah. end, and that was, yeah, it. that was it. Yeah. So, Sam, your uh, your thoughts on, you know, any other... Because um, you're, you're well-versed with this character, obviously. You're, you know, you're a monster guy. So... You make Jolly Franks. What, <laughs> what kind of... Uh, you know, what is your your favorite adaptation of this character that you feel really brings out who, you know, not only the doctor, but his creation? Like what, you know, it doesn't have to be the same film. No, yeah. The, you know, I mean, one of my favorite representations, and I know this is going to be met with some kind of controversy, was actually in Penny Dreadful. Okay. The television series, like. I actually thought that was really well done because uh, Dr. Frankenstein was a mess. He was just like, he was a junkie and he like couldn't keep his shit together because of what he did. And, you know, he was just like, like he was falling apart as the show was going on while his monster, his creation was struggling with his own humanity and figuring out how his way in the world and dealing with, you know, being judged for how he looked because he was represented a little bit closer to what he's described as in the book. You know, he had long stringy black hair and, um, they get, it was a cool design closer to like a classic zombie type look. He was just kind of pale. Uh, he had <clears throat> sort of like a he had the haircut, you know, lobotomy haircut, mm-hmm. where it was like shaved on the one side, which was like a little like kind of silly. But at the same time, it's like it worked, you know. Yeah. And I actually really liked that uh, that dynamic, and it gave you kind of a great thing where the monster wanted to be, he wanted to be good, he wanted to live his life and enjoy living, uh, but because of his. Uh, his appearance and the hardships that he faced because of that and the judgments and stuff like that, he would lash out and specifically lashed out at Dr. Frankenstein a great deal because he was trying to get what he wanted out of Mm -hmm. him. Um, The single most heartbreaking adaptation I've ever watched was um, I can't remember what theater it was, but it was, it had Benedict Cumberbatch and, um, the main character from uh, Hackers. What was that guy's name? From Hackers. Well, he's the other uh, Sherlock. He's on. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. The the train spotting guy. Yeah. Yeah. What was that guy's name? John Blake. Robert Carlyle. John, uh, Johnny. Yeah, no. Johnny something. I'll look it up. All right. Well, it was them two, and basically how the performance would work is that one night one of them would play the monster, and the other one would play the doctor, and then they would switch. Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny there Lee you Miller. go. Yes. So they did an adaptation. Sounds like a did, serial killer. Uh, they did it as one of those Fathom events. 
mm-hmm. uh, where you can go like watch yeah, live yeah. theater in the and mm-hmm. you know go to the movie theater, the movie theater and, yeah. And, yeah and watch a broadcast of it and I went and saw it um and it was the most like absolute heartbreaking representation of the monster I'd ever seen and it was beautiful I mean it was wonderfully done it was actually directed by Danny Boyle really oh, uh, and that explains the train spotting connection yes yeah but it was such a cool production. I really wish I could have seen it in person, but I mean, the way they did it and the way they showed the monster uh, kind of going from those like birth moments into this vengeful, you know, creature um, who doesn't know any better because he's been treated so poorly over, you know, it was, it was great. That sounds like it's, it's uh, fantastic. I mean, especially with those two actors, you know, even, you know, it doesn't matter which one was which, like, you know, switching off, like, that That sounds like it was a hell of a production. Uh, so I think we'll we'll wrap up with, you know, everybody else's favorite. Uh, so, Steve, how about you? Again, it doesn't have to be the same film. Yeah. It could be... Well, actually, I want to make sure uh, that we're not taking the listening audience for granted. Um, for those who, who don't realize it, the monster was extremely talkative in the book. In fact, you can't yes. kind of hardly shut him up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super intelligent. He understands a lot. He uh, He's super easily butthurt, though, so you really got to be careful what you do around him because, damn, what an emo. Like, he's like the original emo, the, uh, <laughs> the, the monster. Man, oh, man, just keep him happy. Keep him in, uh, in ho-hos and, and Twinkies. He, put, um, he puts the emo in monster. Yeah. What? Um, but yeah, so yeah, the, the Penny Dreadful adaptation was in many ways the most book accurate version of the character, not necessarily like narrative wise, but the way that the character looked, the way he acted and spoke and <clears throat> was very well read and all this stuff. Um, I also think it's interesting, uh, which we didn't talk, talk at all about in the book. You don't actually have any idea how he made a monster. Yeah, he does not describe it. There is no laboratory with uh, you know, chains and toggles and Tesla coils and lightning and all that stuff. It just doesn't exist. He literally skips over it because the whole book is being told to the sea captain guy who picks him out, picks him up on like the pack ice in the distant north. Yeah, and he's literally telling, you know, Victor Frankenstein is telling his sad, tragic tale, and uh, he literally doesn't want anybody to know how he did it. So he just doesn't say how he did it. He just, all of a sudden, there's a monster. And poof. Um, my favorite version of the character, though, is definitely, definitely the Karloff version. I, I, can't, I can't stray from that. I mean, I, I'm a huge Universal Monster guy. So, um, you know, it's, it's all about Karloff for me. This, the scene when, and this is frequently mentioned, but there, there are a few shots in Frankenstein that just get me. But, like, the scene where he's reaching up to the sky, he's seeing... He's been shut in a dark room since he was born. All he's known for the past like few days is just blackness. And he is finally allowed to step out. And he looks up and he sees these rays of sunlight filtering in. This is the first time he's seen anything at all. Mm-hmm. And he's seeing the sun. And he's just, he doesn't understand it. But he's reaching up. He wants to touch it. And it's, it's just ridiculously heartbreaking. I mean, yes. it's just like ridiculously. 
So, I mean, uh, to me, to me, that's Frankenstein. That'll always be Frankenstein. As I said, I, I enjoy the the movie more than the book. And if I could say one more, because I, I know I know we're wrapping up here. On your episode that you guys did, and this is a little bit of a meta reference here, that you guys did on The Thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the story, uh, who goes there? Your one criticism. What was your main criticism with the story? He, he did bronze. something. Bronze. Saying bronze all the goddamn time. Okay. The word countenance is used in Mary Shelley's book about 142 times. I think it's been count- it has been counted. I'm pretty sure it's like 140-something. It's unbelievable how many <laughs> times she uses the word countenance. Everything. It's like, can you just say face? Just maybe like once? Maybe that was on her word a day calendar. Oh, my gosh. She like started she writing it. loved that word. And when you... When I heard you say the bronze thing, because I haven't read that story, all I immediately, all I could think of was, was friggin' countenance and Mary Shelley. It's like, Shelley! Like, oh, my God. Shelley! Hey, Ashes, how about you? Um, so there are, are several. Um, I love Karloff's Frankenstein, but I love him more in Bride of Frankenstein. I love that movie so much. Mm, that's I my favorite. I think it's just fantastic. And Elsa Lancaster is just amazing. She's also in Mary Poppins, too, which is probably why yeah, I love her so mom. much. Yeah. Um, but she's just she's just so fantastic and beautiful. And it's this really weird love story. And it's interesting and he gets more of a personality he can talk yeah he can talk a little bit um you know the scene with the, 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 the old the... blind guy it's yeah. just so great where are you going yeah, i was gonna make espresso <laughs> i was gonna make it <laughs> sit down hackman get out of here it's just it's really heartwarming i love that one and like i said earlier i love uh you know grew up watching the monsters still love the monsters um but one of the i feel like i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this one of my favorite portrayals and i love this movie so much and it was so mm-hmm. negatively received um i love the movie van helsing and i oh. shut up <laughs> I mentioned Van Helsing on my 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 first episode with you guys. Uh, yeah, you did. you did. I said it was my favorite werewolf transformation, and I said I would I would happily dodge whatever chairs were then thrown at me, but none came. No. So it's all. I just think it's a you know, in my personal opinion, I just thought it was a very interesting uh, portrayal of the Frankenstein. Very steampunk. Car- yeah, I really liked the design of it. It was an inst- interesting portrayal. Um, and it was also a really cool Dracula, which we will actually be talking about next episode. Next episode so kind yes. of like a little. The Frankenstein in that was he was very, uh, very operatic. He was. I, like I just really, theatrical. really liked yeah. it. Yeah. He, he was very Christopher Lee as Saruman screaming out the top of uh, his tower. like, He could have been played by Billy Eichner. Yeah. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Acting! <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll wrap this up. Uh, mine's going to be pretty quick. Um, my favorite version of the monster is actually, um, I think it's a lot closer to the source material. And it's, again, a film that wasn't overly uh, celebrated because, you know, 
for whatever reason, but I enjoyed De Niro's performance as the monster. Yeah. Uh, I thought he he did fairly well. Yeah. I do enjoy that movie, but like there's it. these moments where he like very much slips into these De Niro isms. Yes, that are it makes it it takes it's, you right out of it. It, it. Yeah, it does. It shatters your sense of self belief. It's like, you know, like he's sitting there. He's like, yeah, I didn't mean to whack the guy, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, starts yeah. talking about milking the cat. You know, no, no, it's, uh, when, when he's pl- it's when he's playing the flute, and he's sitting there, and he's like, in which part of me does this reside? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, Bavarian Frankenstein with yeah. a fucking Brooklyn accent. No, I get you, but yeah. I liked his look. I liked the way the character was presented. And Helena Bonham Carter is the bride in that. Yeah, unfortunately, they, they yes. squeeze the bride into it. Yeah. Um, she loves. Do you not oh, like her? She's she the loves worst. her. She's the worst. Um, but I yeah. will say my favorite version of the Doctor. It's got to be Gene uh, Wilder. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's got to be. Got to be. So. <laughs> It could work, <laughs> and it's I, funny. Well, before I didn't mean to cut you. Oh off, no, 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 don't worry. But what Steve was saying earlier about like you know the source material is like I'm not you know I'm telling the story, but I don't want anyone to know how I did it. There's literally a book that says how I did it yep. by Victor Frankenstein. Well, I mean that. I mean, there's so many representations of how it happens. I mean, in the '90s, one it's electric eels and. Uh, yeah, that like bur- that bur- uh, what is it? Placenta, yeah, almost. Yeah. Uh, but there's weren't there eels in Penny Dreadful too? I feel like he used eels in that. Unless More just, reliable than the weather. <laughs> it's true. True. Uh, you got to feed him though. The the Thomas Edison one that I was talking about, he's actually made in an oven. Quite really? li- quite literally, yes. Ding. He like puts a, a all the monsters done. Yeah. <laughs> no, those are my a creepy the bake oven. Five more minutes. The creepy bake oven, nice. Ah. The eerie bake oven. That's, Ooh. That's, oh, that's a good one. With, with, using oh, the I e. like that. Yeah. With very few exceptions, there is no Frankenstein movie that I do not enjoy. Karloff, by far, will always be mm-hmm. the image that I have in my head when it comes to the monster. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's true for most people. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it's timeless. It is, it is just absolutely timeless. It works. And even later renditions... Of, based on that mm-hmm. including the Van Helsing one which he still had a flat head and mm-hmm. you know and the electrodes and things like that um, and I feel like even his, his cadence was very much a a toss to to how proper Karloff actually was uh, but even in like Victor Frankenstein which was not a good movie but I actually thought the monster was really kind of cool looking at it yeah yeah um, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I didn't hate it. You know, I'm I'm fascinated by the Igor concept. And yes, that was absolutely. that was that was great. His you know, Daniel Radcliffe. And as briefly we mentioned or I mentioned there is no Igor. There's no there's no assistant in the book at all. No. Nope. Uh, but, but there in, also is no Igor in any movie except for that one because his name is actually Igor with yeah. a Y yes. and it's and played by Bella Lugosi. Yeah, in the third one. In the third one. And, and then he's, he doesn't have a... He's not his assistant. He doesn't have a hunchback. He's got a broken neck. But the hunchback that you think of is Fritz. Yep. Which and is Fritz played, is a dick. Yes, played yes. By, yes. Yeah, played by Dwight Fry, who was also Renfield in, in Todd Browning's Dracula. Yes. Boy, he got typecast. Oh, yeah. Well, he was the man with a thousand-watt stare. He had yeah. those crazy eyes. He did. And, uh, and Alice Cooper wrote a good song about him, too. So he's mm-hmm. pretty cool. He's cool in my book. 
So, all right, I think with that, because we could just keep going on, but we got more stuff we got to do. But uh, I think we'll just we'll wrap this up. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll give you a preview of what's going on. We'll give you last week's battle results. We got some feedback. We do have a feedback. So uh, we'll be right back. Fueled by tacos, beer, and Bloody Marys, the only show featuring baby Jesus with a nail gun, the pride of PA, and the show with the eye of the tiger, ladies and gentlemen, Punch Farm. Hey, this is Mark from Punch Farm. I'm here with Mark Dose. Hello. I'm here with Elijah. Hello. I'm here with Nikki. Hey. Join us every Monday as we talk about life, tacos, beer, and movies. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and punchfarm.com. Keep on punching! <laughs> Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series, and you are listening to Throwdown Thursday on the Grand Guineal Network. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Whiz Kid. You know... A town without best darn diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's WizKid, Richie the WizKid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast. Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to best darn diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly Review Show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall in the motherfucking house. Patrick Ray Hall. In the motherfucking house. Patrick Wayne Hall. In the motherfucking house. Alright, so we are back. So I know you're probably thinking, you know, listen to this, like, oh, they didn't cover this, they didn't cover this, they didn't touch on this. You know, Sam just mentioned we didn't even touch the Hammer films. So, yeah, there's 200 years worth of source material. There's no way we're going to fit it all into a single podcast. So... You know, if you have thoughts that you want to share with us, you know, stuff that you think we definitely should have covered. Let us know. Let us know. Facebook, um, you know, Throwdown Thursday podcast at gmail.com. Twitter at TD Thursday pod. Let us know. And, you know, we'll definitely share it. Uh, speaking of folks who have shared their thoughts on subjects that we've covered prior, um, I apparently missed this email that Riku sent to us about Tim Drake and Eric Draven, so I want to cover that real quick before we wrap the show up. Uh, Riku says, Tim Drake, while being the third Robin, is the second best one in my heart. In the New 52, he figured out who Batman was. Expertly trained and proven he can handle his own mantle of Red Robin, Tim is a great character. Then he said, uh, Eric Draven is a tragic character. His violent wave of death is most definitely earned, and his... Ability to shrug off mortal wounds when pursuing his vengeance is entertaining. The end of the book and movie always brings a tear to my eye. So, of course, we covered Tim Drake and Eric Draven on the last two shows. And I apologize to Riku for missing this. But So, just to kind of backtrack a little bit and just kind of talk about Eric Draven for, like, another 30 seconds. 
So sometimes we get a little political on the show. We don't try to, but it happens. And sometimes you can't help it. Like with all of this Kavanaugh bullshit, like the crow has just been like replaying in my mind over and over and over again. Like just wanting to get vengeance and rage and just kill everyone who deserves to be killed. So, yeah, I like beer. There's there's a big fucking bird over there. I like beer. Yeah, that's basically the entire thing. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah, we, that's my uh, story. We had our battle last week. I kind of screwed up the uh, the Facebook version. I said uh, the poll, who would you rather have uh, avenge you in the event of your death? And the choices were Eric Draven as the crow or John Wick. Uh, Eric Draven was overwhelmingly the choice. Um on the Twitters, which was the actual battle like, yes. that was that was supposed to be uh, the spirit of vengeance battle. By the way, is the new music just for announcing the battle? Yes. Okay, just yeah, making sure. Yeah, that's that's for next week. We're uh, just want to make sure I didn't miss a cue. No, 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 you did not. Um, so uh, it was overwhelmingly spawn over, you know, Eric Draven and 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 uh, Ghost Rider, the other spirits of vengeance. Folks picked Spawn, so so Facebook the incorrect. Todd McFarlane says Spawn, Spawn, yes. So next week uh, we are going to be joined by yet another guest. Uh, these fine gentlemen will be joining us as well because you know we keep people hostage. Butts are already in the seats. People. And two weeks in a row, it's always awesome to talk monsters with folks who are more knowledgeable than we are on this. I have zero qualms. <laughs> admitting that that's why you guys are here um i want to thank you guys both for coming in this week and sticking around and helping us out next week as well but we are going to be discussing dracula next week and so if you thought we missed out on a lot of stuff with 200 years of uh <laughs> of source material we're going to do our best to cover as much as we can next week with Millions and millions <laughs> of years of source material. Five Dracula years. was written like so many thousand years ago. Oh, where, where, I don't even know. What did I? We're mean? even. We're we're going Vlad Dracula of Wallachia. Uh, we're gonna start off with. So, we're looking five hundred years worth of stuff here. So, we're gonna do our best, but bear with us if you have any thoughts. Let us know, because this is a great character. So, uh, I think with that being said... No, not yet. No, that's not being said, because we've got something going on. We, well, do, we've got lots of things going what do we on. Have, what do we have coming up? It. We've, we've got it going on. Um, we're going to be at Rock and Shock in Worcester, Massachusetts. At the DCU Center, all three days. On October 12th, 13th, and 14th. That is actually the start of Ashtoberfest. So come party with us. Party with some monsters. We can have some good times. You can meet some killer celebrities like, guys, Linda Blair is going to be there. I'm so excited. Do you think she's going to, like, turn her head? She will. Like, 380? I think she will. Do you think she'll do that? 360? 360? What is it? 380? <laughs> Just a little bit past because she thought she heard something. Um, as she's, I believe that was CG that you're talking about. It wasn't real life. Uh, but we're not going <sighs> to be the only Quinn. ones. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm out also going to be at Rock and Shock. Samson will be there. That's right. I'll be at the uh, in the New England Horror Writers booth both Friday and Saturday. I'll be there. That's right. Rocking and shocking and uh, schlocking and socking and selling some books. And my books are The Bone Eater King and Marrow Dust. Which we're going to touch on next week. In our vampire episode? Yes. Oh, say word. That's part of the reason why you're on here. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Wolfie, you're going to be there too, ain't you? Yeah, I guess I'll be there. Yeah, so, no, Trick or Treat Radio and the Deadites will have a booth. And we're also doing a uh, live uh, podcast recording at the, um, I guess, the Q&A stage or whatever. So oh, we'll be shit. doing that on Saturday. So that should be fun. Wolfie, did did you just say your band is named the Dadites? Yes, yes, we're the Dadites. Is, the, is that what the Deadites became eventually? Uh, most most of them, yes. There's yeah, more back uh, here. There, there's uh, more uh, ear hair, and there's you become the Dadites. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you still rock though. <laughs> That's the important thing. I guess so. It's very <laughs> apparent. <laughs> you're like question mark. <laughs> now uh, that weekend, Sam, you uh, already mentioned you're going to be. Uh, in Salem that weekend, if things go according to plan, yes. if things go, I, according I will to plan, be you outside will be of Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery at its new location on Essex Street. Excellent. So, if you're not able to make it to Rock and Shock, but you already have plans, uh, or you can do both. Yeah, hell, go do both. Come see, you know, the Deadites Friday night. I mean, I'm gonna. Uh, we're we're gonna be there. You know, come by the convention, meet some people, meet some new friends. Ted Raimi is also at the convention this year. I'm pretty psyched for Ted Raimi, I got to say. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I also have one more thing. Uh, I'm also going to be at an event called Spooks and Spirits. It's um, Saturday, October 20th, and that is at the Dirty Water Distillery in Plymouth, Mass., from 12 to 6 p.m. It's going to be really fun. It's a brand-new event put on by the Inebriart Podcast, and... Um, yeah, we're going to do some reading, we're going to do some drinking, and we're going to do some uh, scaring. I don't know. I don't have a third thing. Excellent. Come down. Come on down. It's, so it's Plymouth. The, so, the rock's over there. So <laughs> next week next week is Rock and Shack, and the week after is uh, Steve's event. Spooks and Spirits. So Spooks come down, spirits. check us out. Enjoy. Like, you know, it's October. This is the time of the year for, come, for doing all this come stuff. Come on down and... And enjoy Ashtober with us, with me, Boris Karloff. So I think with that being said, we'll go ahead and bring this episode to a close. And we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>